had with these two guys. And uh, I remember I had no clue about uh, optical, hyperspectral, sensor, planet labs, data fusion, whatever. Whatever they were telling me, I was like, uh, okay, great. <laughs> Sounds good, but I have no cl clue what it is. So I had to build knowledge, and this is actually my, my daily business. And the way I build knowledge is actually by talking to people that know much more than I do and are experts in the field. So I talk to Andreas, I talk to these guys. You know, I ask a lot of stupid questions just to, to gather knowledge and find good companies out there in the market that are willing and want to take on venture capital. And, and yeah, I mean, it's great. I get paid for looking into space tech stuff. It's, a, it's an amazing job. Nice. So um, did you know um, uh, before you joined Lexter that you will be responsible for analyzing the space ecosystem? Or was there, hey, we, um, we are Lexter, we need an analyst, you fit, you joined, and then they said you're going to take care of space. Yeah, the letter. So it was really, I wasn't really prepared to, to look into space tech. And obviously, my background is in business, so I don't have a background in, 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 in space engineering or astrophysics or whatever it might be. So my background was in business, and I never expected uh, to be able to actually look and to be allowed actually to look into the space tech market so it was it came came as a surprise for me but i'm super super happy and super super lucky and uh, i mean as i said I, i get to learn a lot all every day uh, and that's that's just an amazing opportunity and um now uh, you have you have jumped into the space ecosystem um so what is the motivation for lakestar so what i understood is uh, you are really focusing on space uh, analyzing space and it's one of is it one of the three hot topics for lakestar right now in investments yeah for sure it's, i mean it's a super interesting super interesting industry and and the reasons for that is actually if you talk to people a lot of people ask you okay wh why actually do we have to go to space like there's there's so many problems here on earth like why do we have to go to space and the reason we as lakestar uh, like like space tech is actually that we think It has a EU sovereignty aspect, and that's what we like as a fund. It has a national security aspect. If you think about what's happening in Ukraine and, and Starlink and so on, so it has a it has a national security aspect. It also has the potential to solve some of the world's largest problems, which we really really like, um, like being able to analyze uh, wildfires, um, making predictions on on on, on uh, let's say um, vegetation management, water management, and so on. So you can do that with space tech and what Andreas has alluded to, in-space manufacturing offers a huge potential solar-based energy. So there's a lot of potential actually to solve the problems um, that we have here on Earth, and that's, I think, what we really like. Yeah, interesting. There's uh, one um, um, thing which uh, surprised me, basically, um, that uh, you, you talk to so many people in the ecosystem and you never talk to Tom. So Tom, do you want to join us here on stage? Yeah, right in the, I come in the middle. Um, yeah, Sven, you had a question to the audience first, right? Exactly. We have a few mics here for, for the guests. But exactly. So you've heard now a little bit about uh, raising venture capital in the, in the space ecosystem. You've heard Tom's great story of not raising venture capital and building a big company in the space ecosystem. So if you would start a space company, uh, who would right now bootstrap the company? And who would raise venture capital? Okay, wow. So the others wouldn't start a company. Okay, well, that's good for us. Uh, but exactly, wanted to start with that. Um, because obviously, this is um, the, yeah, the topic of our discussion today. Um, so, but because we wanted to mix it up a little bit, and we had two uh, people which are obviously in favor of venture capital, maybe, um, Lucas, could you start um, and tell us why, what are the benefits of bootstrapping a company? Why would you, for example, bootstrap a company rather than raising venture capital? 
Yeah, I think the way to to look at venture capital, it's it's a it's a it's a great catalyst. And if everything is going well, it's a ton of fun. You have great people like Andreas on your board helping you. If everything is going not so well, you will hate you will hate your life because you have a, will have a lot of people at your throat and asking for okay, where's my money? I want to make sure that my money is back. So if you want to have maybe a little bit more freedom and stable life, then I think you should bootstrap. Andreas, do you have anything to add to this? Um, yeah, having been an entrepreneur myself, I can tell you, I'm also a big fan of venture funding, of course, but I can tell you having a lot of money sometimes made me forget to reduce cost, uh, very honestly, because um, obviously there's the next funding round coming along. And I think it is extremely important for every country for every company to always reduce cost every single day not in a sense that you you reduce cost by uh, you know limiting the potential of the company but thinking about saving costs without losing potential without losing quality without losing people is key and you don't learn that as much as if you were bootstrapping Okay, and uh, Andreas, if you could pass the mic to Tom. So, Tom, why should one raise venture capital? I mean, you lifted your arm when I asked who would who would build a company with venture capital. So, I'm sure you have an answer. Um, yeah, so I think these were very good uh, arguments uh, for uh, for bootstrapping uh, the company. The thing is, uh, it's extremely slow. Um, as I as I said, uh, it took uh, 10 years uh, before I was able to pay myself uh, a salary uh, and. Uh, imagine we would have had venture capital in 2002, 2003, believing in what we wanted to do. We could have been already much earlier there. And if that would have happened in uh, Europe, in Germany, then maybe we would not uh, trying to catch up with uh, with an Elon Musk uh, uh, in in both the satellites and the rockets. We could uh, we could be there because, to be honest, at least in the satellites, for the very longest time, we had the better technology. But we just didn't have the markets, we didn't have the foresight, we didn't have the, the vision of the people, of the investors to go there. That's why we had to do it all the hard way. So I think uh, in either um, like bootstrapping or having a venture-backed company, as an entrepreneur, uh, you, you always have stress, right? So uh, that's definitely uh, for granted. Um, but what, uh, what I would be interested in, Tom, is, um, I mean, you talk to venture capitalists, right? We did. It was uh, we talked very early to them. Um, I think to the uh, to the high tech Gründerfonds. Uh, we indeed talked in 2006, 2007, and they in turn uh, talked to to the expert at DLR, and the DLR expert told them there's no such thing as commercial uh, space. And at, at that point in time, it was true, right? That 100 uh, space companies in Germany and uh, 99 of them wanted to only live from government money. Uh, so, of course, that one outlier that said we don't want that is, of course, not going to uh, succeed. Um, so, yeah, so we talked also to, uh, I think, uh, VCs in, in, in the United States, uh, but uh, we were still a bit of an oddball. They didn't understand that. And uh, we also talked to VCs in, in India. Uh, but it is all this investment, with money coming in, it's all this uh, about a personal fit, right? It's, it's, like, uh, it's like a marriage, right? You go together with somebody, and you stay for a very, very long time together, right? And uh, it was just a much better fit to do the Indian uh, the joint venture and giving, getting the money there and keeping the, 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 the mother company in Berlin without funding. Yeah. You mentioned that uh, when you bootstrap a company, um, uh, it can be slow, right? But you started very soon, right? So the speed was, was okay. -ish. 
Um, now, um, with all the venture capital which goes into the market, um, do you see now uh, companies um, which are competing with you, which are uh, way better funded, and do you see it as a, as a risk? Um, or what, what is your thought on this? Um, honestly, uh, I think what you said uh, about uh, Andres about the about uh, um, uh, about uh, managing the the, the the money, so to say, is is very important. Um, um, I see people like the Aerospace Lab having 50 million. I have uh, see uh, people with great ambition and, and no technology, but a lot of money. And then I always wonder, like. We are so few people. We have achieved these things. Why are these guys not overtaking us? And they they don't. And I don't know why. Uh, it's good for me, but uh, it's uh, I honestly have no answer why why they why they don't. I mean, there's there's a few companies that are very very good. Uh, like SpaceX is is extremely good with the rockets, but also with the satellites. But other than that, uh, I think we are uh, top notch, uh, despite the fact that we have very little money. And sometimes we really have to do and have to be as efficient as we can be without having a lot of money. And that's maybe our strength. Honestly, I don't know. Yeah. So in New Space Vision, it's always about connecting people here. And now uh, maybe just imagine an, an ele classical ele elevator uh, meeting, right? You, you meet uh, uh, Lucas. Like, Lucas, what would be uh, like the first question you would ask, Tom? I would probably ask, uh, what's your long-term vision and, and what's your secret sauce to get there? Um, the long-term vision is, of course, uh, be the one that uh, kills off 90% uh, of the upstream uh, up, uh, satellite manufacturers, uh, to be nasty. Um, uh, and um, and uh, the secret sauce is that uh, uh, the entire space industry has not learned to be efficient. A lot of people work with government money, and government money gives you a 7% profit margin, and you never learn how to be you can find that in space done wrong, but uh, it's a long story short. And as soon as people get dragged to that, they get slow. And the secret sauce is to think, how can you do the most with the few resources that you have, right? Rather than thinking, okay, I throw millions of resources on it. Because space got slow by throwing too much resources on it and never being efficient about it. You want to take my money? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs> So yeah, I, I mean, um, there is also the side of the entrepreneur because, uh, as you mentioned correctly, it's like a marriage, right? There are there you um, you are binded through contracts. Um, uh, that's that may be different to a marriage, but you have a very long-term relationship, and you can't get 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 uh, um, get out of this relationship very easy. Um, so Tom, um, when you would uh, select an investor, right? Uh, like, what what would be um, important for you? Um, for me, uh, uh, and that's why I me bring the the, the 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 marriage example. It's it's personal chemistry first and all because you're going to sitting with these people in stressful situations. As as you have as you have said, right? You're sitting there, and uh, when things go wrong, then then you'll be like, same with a marriage, right? You're you're not talking about the happy days, right? What makes what makes or break a marriage is what you do on the days that are not so great. Right, so I mean, everybody that is in a relationship uh, that 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 works like that, that will be a long-term relationship. That's that's the same same thing with with investors. It's not so much about how much money you raise. It's not about uh, um, what valuation you have. If you if you drive it only by that point, I mean, my wife says if you if you marry for money, you pay for every dollar, <laughs> right? And same same thing here. 
And uh, so for me, I'm looking for a personal relationship, looking whether they have the same vision, the same understanding of, of, my, of my business. And then the other thing which is very important is what strategic other things than money they can bring to the table, right? Connections to potential customers because it's all about the customers, right, as I said. Um, uh, connection to politicians, very important in space and, and critical markets, access and so on. These things are often much, much more important than, than having uh, just a lot of money. Yeah. Now maybe asking Andreas, um, like when you when you um, look at investors, like what would you say is, uh, is something um, entrepreneurs should be aware of? Um, like what should entrepreneurs look at? Um, what kind of investors should they take or what not? Um, so based on the experience I had, um, I was very fortunate to always select to always be able to select the investors I want to have on my cap table and on my board. And I was very fortunate to have a fantastic set of investors. And what I can only recommend to look at is if there's a personal connection, a personal fit, and there's a basis for trust that can be built before they invest, um, not after, <laughs> before. And um, secondly, if they, really, if they really enable you as a founder or if they disable you as a founder. So if they enable you, Uh, it's it's super super valuable. So if they can help you grow, and um, if there's a check if there's a if, if if you can check these two boxes, everything else for me is not is not as is not as important. Okay, and um, if you now would have the chance to talk to yourself 10 years ago when you when you started uh, your your own company, um, what recommendations would you give to your younger self um, in regards to investors or starting a company uh, from your perspective now, which you have made and the experiences you've made with VCs from a VC perspective and an investor perspective? Yeah, um, yeah, it's, uh, that's a that's a very good one. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, when you when you raise money, <laughs> you really you have you have so many so many different meetings, you meet so many different people and you get tons of no's. Like they tell you, no, I'm not investing because of this, because of that. <laughs> and and it feels like you're doing 95% of the things you do wrong. <laughs> um, but it's simply not the case. So if I, if I were able to talk to myself, I would tell myself, listen to every feedback, don't take it personal, but think about it. Probably you communicated something wrong. It's mainly about how you present things, how you communicate, how you explain. It's not that you're doing things wrong. Cool. So uh, we asked a lot of questions, but there were more questions to Tom, and I'm sure that there are even more questions to Andreas, Lucas, and, and maybe to Daniel and myself. So who has a question? I will go around and um, yeah, hand you the microphone to ask a question. So who is brave? Who wants to go first? Okay. Cornelio. I'll ask a question, and um, <clears throat> this is maybe to all three of you, or all five of you, actually. <laughs> so if you would invest in something, how early in the stage of the company would you go and invest, and what do you want to see proven before you want to go forward with something? So maybe I answer first, because I invest earlier than this guy. <laughs> I actually even like to invest on day zero. So in the past two years, I've actually co-founded three businesses, and that's what I like most, start, start at day zero. And what I look for, fantastic teams and big markets. 
Lucas? Yeah, so for me, it's pretty easy, actually, because we also have an early fund and a growth fund. So the earliest we go is actually in the seed stage. Um, and what we'd like to see is actually two things. So one is that there has to be some technological de-risking, some proof points for that, and some commercial de-risking, meaning that you validated there's demand for your product and there's also willingness, uh, willingness to pay. Um, what we like to see kind of from the company itself is also a really strong team. I think that's, that's really key. The earlier you go, the more important is actually the team. Because along, the, along your journey, so many things are going to change about your business model, about the customers, about a lot of stuff. So team is, for us, uh, key. Okay, Tom or Daniel, do you want to say anything? I don't have any money to invest, so I can't. <laughs> I, I don't have any money either. But uh, what we have, uh, as, a, as a company, have, have done is we have, we have looked at um, complementing businesses, right? So we would see ourselves as a, a strategic uh, investor, right? Not putting that much money in, but we could enable a company that has a technology that wants to fly uh, and normally has to spend millions to get that into space. And we can just say, give us the stuff, we put it on our satellite, we'll fly it, uh, and we can see where it goes from there. That we have done already. We haven't used it as an investment. We have just, that's probably, you know, what we would do. But this is real monetary value. So exactly, if you're a space hardware company, Tom is the right guy to talk to you. To de-risk your technology, to then talk to Lucas to get an investment. So who would have the second question? OK, um, okay. I first go here, and then Amelie. Um, what would be the, the average size of a, of a first uh, investment as business angel or very early stage in new space? So we start at seed stage, and usually the round sizes we see at seed stage between probably around five million, and we would probably invest one, two, three million, something like that. I don't invest millions because I don't have them. <laughs> no, I am very, very different, very, very much spread. So between I started twenty, thirty thousand, go up to half a million per deal. Okay, Amelie, you're next. Um, yeah, this is a question for Tom, actually more on the satellite, um, uh, your business, <laughs> um, regarding like how long does it take to kind of like develop the like one satellite and then why do you need a manufacturing, I guess, um, like how, what's, maybe it's a naive question, but um, I mean when you talk about like the, compared to like a car um, industry, I mean, there's so many people on Earth, right? They all want a car, but why? What's the need for so many satellites, especially if you want to make them sustain? I, I don't know. I mean, if you want to make them maybe sustainable, and like, how long do they live up there too? <laughs> so those are a lot of questions. <laughs> okay, that's that's three questions. Um, okay, let's let me think. Um, so how long do they live? Uh, let's go the other way around. How long do they live? Uh, depends. Uh, typically, the small ones, uh, five to seven years. Uh, the much smaller ones, maybe one two years. Um, and the bigger ones, uh, 10, 15 years. What was the second to the last question? Uh, what, why do we need them? Uh, and why do we need so many? Um, we need uh, so many because certain business models uh, cannot be fulfilled uh, with just an individual satellite, uh, right? So you want always to have more. So for example, the colleagues from, from Life.io want to monitor infrastructure and then sometimes they're cloud and that you know what, no. Right, and uh, and so with one satellite, you have it over your area every once every five days, right? And then maybe you need much more to make use of the of the clouds and so on. So you need you need more satellites for that, and 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 that's for Earth observation and for uh, for telecommunication, especially in low Earth orbit. 
the satellite always only illuminates maybe a 400, 500 kilometers. And then you can imagine satellite moves very fast, and so you need so many satellites that you can cover the entire Earth, right? And so that's one application that has many, many, many satellites. So what was the first question? Oh, yeah. Very good. Too long. Uh, uh, so, so traditionally, if you go and ask ESA anywhere between four to forever, uh, uh, four years to forever, um, uh, in, in the more industrial space, it's two years at the moment. Uh, and the problem is you have to verify, verify, verify. If you just rebuild a satellite, it can be some months or even some weeks in a, in a, in a, in a factory. If you in a factory production run, satellite falls out every week, one, and then you have multiple stuff so that per day there come multiple satellites. Um, and then you, you basically, uh, like when you buy a Dell computer, they don't develop the Dell computer for you. They tell you, you can have these three uh, graphic cards, you can have these two uh, hard drives, and, and you have, can do these two housings. And that is basically the, the sweet spot where you can go. You have a platform, and then you pick and choose, uh, and that's what you can do relatively fast. As soon as you change the tiniest bit, you're back to the two years. Cool. We had another question right here. Yes. Uh, thank you. A question to the money guys uh, related to market sizing, because uh, space seems to be linked to national security. So I, mean, I don't know if I'm right, but is it, when you're looking at investment, is it so that the company, if it's in Europe, the market size is basically Europe, and then if it's the US, it's the US, uh, et cetera, et cetera? I, th I think it does depend. So, for instance, um, Live Year is a very good example. We're, al we're also doing business in the US. Um, if you're in the hardware business or, let's say, in the defense space, obviously, US will be a tough market, uh, tough to know market. Um, so, yeah, it, it really depends. But in terms of market size, it's, it's more important for me that um, the market itself is sufficiently large enough to get certain amount of revenue in the foreseeable future so that it is appealing to a venture capitalist. can totally agree. I mean, it really depends. If you're in the defense department, it's difficult. But other than that, actually, it's it's. We, I see a lot of companies who also do business uh, in the U.S. just because it's it's such a big market, actually. To give you one example, my my former company, we were only active in Germany, and the German market was sufficiently sufficiently large enough to build a business just in Germany. It's already a very big market. Yeah, I think Tom also. I have a comment on that. Uh, so. Um, to scale mass manufacturing, you need a global reach. And that is going against the idea of having basically compartmentalized uh, uh, markets, right? So uh, you might have a Chinese market and then uh, US and European, but you can't break it down smaller because otherwise uh, mass manufacturing doesn't work. And the way we are addressing this uh, problem is we're opening a factory in India that is majority owned from India and produces in India, and it counts as an Indian company, right? And we're doing the same in the US, right? We're opening a company there. It's majority-owned US, mostly US money, but German technology. And it's very similar to car companies or uh, airline companies, right? It, there's only Boeing and Airbus, but they have a, a factory in each major market, and so that's the compromise that, that is typically found. Yeah, and uh, just a comment from my end. So I think like both the European as well as the US market are obviously very big and also in the defense space can be very big. Orbital Insights, a US-American 
now defense-focused Earth Observation Company signed a 950 million euros contract with the American Air Force. And just today, I think, uh, Prilly, J, whatever, how French Earth Observation Companies, which name I can't pronounce, uh, just uh, uh, received a nine-year contract from the French Armed Forces over 250 million euros. Um, both defense tech most probably won't sell either in Europe or the US, uh, vice versa. So, but both obviously now very big companies. More questions, Andreas. Yes, thank you. Also a question for Tom, uh, because I'm wondering about the positioning of your products or your satellites, because I mean, on the one you talk about mass production and then it's the one side, like the um, basically the supply side, You how quickly can you manufacture a given design, right? And then the other side, like how quickly can you sell, like the demand side, who who is the product relevant for? And there's a trade-off, obviously, because if you're like a more vertically integrated company like Planet, they can mass produce the satellites because they it's very narrow, like it only needs to do that thing which they need, but if you have diverse customers, they need to be able to do more. I mean, you mentioned the platform, but can you elaborate? I mean, if we have somebody from Planet here, please don't listen. Uh, I, I, I don't think uh, it was a financially sound decision from them to build their own satellites. Uh, they spent roughly a hundred million to get uh, the first constellation of the of the drones in orbit, and they are redoing it now uh, a lot of times. And I honestly believe you could have done that with the existing technology for much less money. But would that have attracted venture capital in the same way? I don't know. Um, the way to to build uh, something that is specific uh, and flexible. Um, is basically you build a truck and whatever you put on the truck, uh, it, it doesn't influence the truck. And the problem is today all satellites and even the, the, the planet satellite as well are very mission specific. And we don't do mission specific satellites. We build a truck and whatever you put on the truck doesn't matter. There's hardly any physical or, or whatever interface connection between the bus and the payload. We keep that very, very flexible and, uh, and uh, basically tell them you just have to do these three interfaces. If it fits three interfaces, uh, data, electricity, and mechanics, then we can fit and fly whatever. And that goes very, very quickly. That's why you can do that in weeks. And on the demand side, uh, yeah, that is developing. I mean, the at the moment, uh, the market is still do, uh, dominated by customers, individual space agencies who are happy to spend millions and years on a satellite project. But there are more and more companies who say, I don't need one satellite, I need 50, I need 100, I need 200, and they need to be in orbit very, very quick because my I can only earn money when they're up there. So the market is shifting at the moment, right? And so that's where it's going to be. So we have time for two quick questions and quick answers before Daniel asks the last questions and we close and pizza is already there. So one question here. How often do you find yourself bumping up against uh, export and ITAR regulations? <laughs> uh, I'm the export uh, control uh, uh, person at BST, uh, and uh, export control is uh, is um, something that uh, takes about thirty percent of my work uh, day. Um, I'm trying to reduce that and offload that to other people. Um, ITAR doesn't affect us because we don't have any any American components that are ITAR restricted. We don't have components that are ear restricted and can't be 
uh, uh, use uh, uh, a de minimis rule, uh, so we are not affected by US uh, export control law, but the German and the European export control law is uh, quite complex in itself, and uh, yeah, every product that we do is export. So very annoying. Okay, last question. No one? Okay, good. Daniel. <laughs> so we talked a lot about financing space, we talked about the ecosystem, um, and we now have uh, three people here, four of course, uh, with, with Sven, um, me excluded, uh, who have uh, some deep insights into the ecosystem. So I would like to ask the last question to all of uh, you, you three. Um, basically, if you um, think about the next five years, what would be your half crazy counterintuitive prediction of what will happen in the space ecosystem? Probably in-space manufacturing will be some reality. I think that will be my, my, my dream. My crazy dream would be a Google search bar for the physical world. It just would be amazing if you can just type in whatever kind of question and you get instant feedback based on satellite data in real time. That would be amazing. So for instance, how many Tesla cars are driving in Berlin right now? Uh, how many open parking spaces are there when I can park my car? I think that, that would just be mind-blowing. Uh, yeah, so I, I have to uh, damp uh, that a little bit. Uh, be <laughs> because... Uh, yeah, uh, no, no. What what I can see, uh, and I can see it for the last two years uh, um, in Corona, everybody got crazy, uh, and the Russians apparently a lot more than uh, many other people. Um, and uh, uh, the problem is, we are seeing a, um, a also be between China and the United States a a rollback of internationalization, and uh, this is this is something that is of course a threat for. Companies like us that want to work internationally, uh, but it's also an opportunity because uh, national security and defense stuff is becoming much more. Um, yeah, so uh, so the, the crazy the crazy observation could be we are we are ending in a place where uh, uh, civil stuff plays less of a role, and we have more and more uh, people who uh, go back to the old days where they say we want to have everything state financed. We have, we, have, we recently had the. The head of the of the the coordinator of of space in Germany just said, private people should not, uh, you know, have the right to say what space infrastructure does, and I was like, oh, this is cringe, <laughs> because this is against new space, but it could happen, and uh, so uh, I'm normally very optimistic, but I would since uh, you brought optimistic stuff, I want to counter that balance that a bit. You okay. also have an opinion? Yeah, sure. So I'm again on the optimistic side, so. Exactly, in five years, a billion assets across the world will be monitored and millions of people's lives will be improved through satellite insights powered by LiveVO, uh, which also brings me to the end and us to the end. Um, we just wanted to say, I think, thanks a lot, right, to, to all our speakers tonight. Thanks for coming out from Hamburg, from other places. Um, thanks you for joining us. If you want to work in the space industry, start working at LiveVO. We have a lot of open job positions. you find them right here. If you want to learn more about the space ecosystem, Daniel, I, thanks to the great support of Gabriel right over there and Andreas, are recording a podcast, New Space Vision. You find it on every platform. Listen to it. 
And Daniel, any final words? Yeah, exactly. For the podcast, uh, there's a podcast with uh, Tom where he also is explaining how he's uh, actually using uh, Git controls for his hardware, which is super exciting stuff. And um, there are some QR codes next to the reception where you can follow the podcast. And now I think it's pizza time. Exactly. Thank you very much and see you next time. Liftoff, we have a liftoff.